Join I Am A Watchman Ministries Managing Editor Joe Kerr with co-host Dylan Burroughs, bringing you a fascinating discussion regarding the importance of Bible prophecy and Christian living today as it relates to our responsibility as believers to be watchmen. This is A View From The Wall. Hello, welcome to A View From The Wall. I'm Dylan Burroughs here with Joe Kerr, and we've been enjoying the Hope For Our Times conference here in Southern California, some of the best prophecy speakers from across the country. And Joe, hasn't it been a fabulous time to be able to connect with so many of the top people in Bible prophecy all in one place? It has been a great weekend, and we're looking forward to much more, including Pastor Jack Hibbs is going to be speaking in just a little bit, talking about the rapture, yes? I am. I'm going to be giving arguments regarding uh, the rapture, the biblical uh, account of the rapture. A lot of people today are saying it's not found in Scripture that it's a relatively new doctrine, and uh, the exact opposite's true. So we're going to march through that. I'm going to give them 10 reasons as to why belief in the rapture and the expectancy of the rapture is a biblical issue. For those of you not familiar, Jack Hibbs is the founder and senior pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, located in Southern California. His teachings are heard on many radio stations throughout the world. He and his wife, Lisa, have been married over 30 years and live in Southern California. We are honored to have him with us today. And tell us a little bit about maybe your motivation for talking on the rapture in particular, why it's important to continue teaching this topic today when so many other ideas are being thrown around as alternatives. Yeah, well, number one, the scripture exhorts us that in the last days, there's going to be those that are going to be denying the the joy, the expectation of his coming. Having said that, I believe that as a watchman, right, that we need to stand and proclaim the truth. The second thing is, um, and I'm, I'm blessed to say this, we have a highly involved church nationally, internationally, and within our own county and city. Why? Because we believe the Lord could come back at any time, we live and act like it. And in all areas of life, from, from civics to private life to, to the world. In other words, missions are a big deal, big right. budget, and also influencing culture, school board, things like that. Why? For righteousness sake. So that's the motivator. Well, that's great to hear. And I know for many of our listeners, they'll be excited to hear some about the work you've done in Israel. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, we've been working in Israel for a little over 23 years now by or reaching believers in Israel, reaching hopeful believers in Israel, and uh, also helping the Israeli government in various ways coming from a Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, it's opened up some pretty amazing doors. Yes, well, this has been a great place to see what God is doing in the lives of many Jewish people coming to faith in yep. Jesus, as well as just Christians who are rallying around to support the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. So it's been fabulous to see. But as we talk about the rapture, I know many people have questions about it, where it's found in Scripture, how to discuss it with others. Let's go to the Bible a little bit. Where does the Bible talk about the rapture, and what is some of the compelling information we need to share on the topic? Well, I'll tell you what, this is great because the topic today, my argumentation will be 10 apologetic points to, to answer that question. Number one, if I had a few moments to discuss this with somebody for a, a positive response regarding the rapture, Jesus in John chapter 14 said the following, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, he went on to say that in my father's house are any mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go now to prepare a place for you that when I come again, listen, I will take you to myself that where I have been there, you will be also. So John chapter 14 verses one, two, and three tells you that Jesus is leaving. He left. He's going to prepare a place. He's going to come back and pick you up and take you to that place that he says is the father's house. If you cut the rapture out of scripture, you have to cut out John 14, verses 1, 2, and 3. Red letter words, mind you, by Jesus himself. We'll just start there, right out of the Bible. 
And that's a great place to start. If you can throw away what Jesus said about the rapture, then you've tossed the entire argument. And that is absolutely the core to the message. And who would know better than the one that's coming back, right? How could you argue with that? Well, and and listen to this. Exactly. And if you're going to I love how you put that. If you cut out what Jesus has said, then that kind of a attitude is going to just keep cutting other inconvenient scriptures out. Well, why would somebody stop there? But what I love about that is uh, people are you know excited about Jesus being, he's going to prepare a place for us. He went away. Well, follow that through. Because Paul the Apostle said in 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 13, Exactly what Jesus said, but with some detail. There's going to be a trumpet blast. We're going to be caught up where we get that word rapture or harpazo in Greek. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord, not in Chicago, not in Jerusalem, but in the air. And he's going to take us there. And Paul ended in verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians 4 by saying, comfort one another with these words. The church needs to get back to biblical teaching on this issue so that in these last days they might comfort one another with the expectancy of Christ's return. Well, and I'm glad you've gone to that passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the key passages about the rapture. And what is interesting about that is it gives these details that show that it's something clearly different than what you see at Armageddon when Jesus oh, yeah. comes at the return and defeats his enemies. Talk a little bit about some of those differences between the rapture and the return of Jesus. Oh, great question. Number one, there is no precursor. There's no prerequisite uh, Bible prophecy uh, for the rapture to take place. In fact, I'll put it this way. Uh, the rapture promotes the doctrine of imminency, meaning it could happen at any time. We read those passages in scripture and the Bible says something to the effect, be ready, you don't know when, be looking, be on guard, be a watchman, okay? Now, the second coming of Christ is all eyes will see him. The world will mourn and lament at the coming of the wrath of the lamb. It will be a time of great, great destruction. Jesus said, if I didn't come back in the second coming, there'd be no flesh left on the earth. The raptures for the church, it is without warning, but there are hundreds of prophecies that must be fulfilled for the second coming of Christ. One of them is the advent of the Antichrist, the seven-year tribulation period events. They're very different. One's a blessed hope. And one is the coming of judgment where Christ prepares the earth for his millennial reign. The judgment is not a concept that people like to picture Jesus. We have that image, you know, the painting and the lamb and the children and Jesus coming back in judgment. That just doesn't fit some people's theology. How does that work? That's funny. I I live not too far from the beach and here in Southern California, people have the idea of the the surfer style of Jesus. (laughs) He's walking down the beach, there's seagulls, he's holding children's hands and that's cute for a nursery rhyme setting, but Can I remind the people that the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, other passages tell us that his eyes are a flame of fire, his face is whiter than the sun itself, and that his legs look like polished bronze, and that out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, that with it he will strike the nations? I tell you what, it's interesting to me, I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I have them read Genesis to Malachi, right? The Old Testament, skip the entire New Testament, and read the book of Revelation, and a Jew understands. And it makes sense. They, it makes perfect sense to them. Absolutely. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the God. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I get that. The Christian, so-called Christian church, so we have to be careful. Not everybody in the church is of the church, but there are people who want this very, very cool, almost hippie, laid-back style Jesus, and um, I don't see that in Scripture. Is he loving? Absolutely. Does he save? Yes. 
But listen, because he is God, he has to be angry at wickedness. He has to be the one who judges unrighteousness because he is holy. Yes, and that's so important to have that accurate view of what the Bible says, who Jesus is, what he's going to do, both in his first coming and in his second. When we come back on A View from the Wall, we'll talk more about this, so stick with us. From I Am A Watchman Ministries, here's today's I Am A Watchman Minute. Psalm 23 begins with the familiar phrase, The Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd leads his sheep to good things, symbolized by green pastures, still waters, and a banquet feast. Verse 4 reads, He restores or refreshes my soul. How great is that? However, these promises and blessings can only be received when God is our shepherd, when we are in relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus. For it is the shepherd that leads us to good things. We live in perilous and stressful times. However, there is a good shepherd who wants to guide and help us in our daily walk. The I Am A Watchman ministry does too. Visit IamAWatchman.com for free resources designed to equip and encourage. Be bold. Be faithful. Be a watchman. IamAWatchman.com Welcome back to A View from the Wall. We are here with Jack Hibbs as we've been talking about the rapture at the Hope for Our Times Conference in Southern California. And as we continue our discussion about the rapture, one passage that is fascinating in this discussion is the end of 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 58. Talk a little bit about the sequence you see there and the importance of that for the issue of the rapture. I love it because if you read 1 Corinthians 15, 50 and on, if you attribute that event, that remarkable display and description of, of people being transformed in a twinkling of an eye, uh, there are those that will pass from this world to the next without dying. Okay, they're gonna, uh, again, we mentioned First Thessalonians 4. They're yes. going to be able to escape death. There will be those who will be, of course, resurrected and, and uh, changed, the, the dead in Christ. So what's amazing about this is the fact that if you do not have a rapture in your theology, where do you have that happening? If you have it outside the pre-tribulation rapture view, which I hold to, then you've got something that doesn't fit at all in Scripture. It is a a pre-wrath event. It is a pre-tribulation event, and it correlates with the rest of overlay of Scripture. So what we said earlier in the segment, take John 14, Take 1 Thessalonians 4, take 1 Corinthians 15, lay it on top of each other, and it makes absolute perfect sense. The rapture makes sense all the way through, and you referenced how it makes sense to Jewish people. That is a topic that is great discussion right now. The Jews are looking for a third temple. There is a different theology to some extent. Most people aren't aware that there are two messiahs in Jewish culture. So how do Jews view the last days? Unregenerate, not messianic Jews, how do they view the, what are they expecting? Yeah, that's a great question because there's a long, there's a long-standing joke. If you ask three Jews for their opinion, you're going to get five answers. And so you think about that because it's where you're going to drop the pin is where you're going to get a answer. So we have a Jewish community today 
that is uh, extremely, what's the word, energetic about receiving the Messiah, like now. They want to build the temple now. They, they have the artifacts made. They have the, the ashes of the red heifer. They've got the proper blue for the, they've got it all going, okay? And so what's interesting about them is that uh, they want a Messiah now. Now, you said it exactly right. The Jews are not looking for a divine Messiah like we know, like we know in Christianity. They believe when you ask them that their Messiah is going to be a very gifted, a very anointed man. But he have nothing to do with dying for your sins. They don't see that aspect. That's why they wrestle with the scriptures, as Paul said, to their own destruction. They read Isaiah that describes the suffering servant of the Messiah, or Psalm 22, that talks about his hands and his feet being pierced, or Micah 5 2, that he had to be born in Bethlehem. This is undisputable messianic scriptures that are crystal clear. Isaiah 50 tells us that his beard has to be plucked out. The Messiah. But when the Jews read that, they say, no, 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 that's us Jews, metaphorically speaking. That's our beards being pulled out by the Holocaust and all these things. They wrestle with the scriptures. What they need to do is they need to read the scriptures all the way through, literally like they would in other areas. Let the Bible speak for itself. If they do that, they'll be fine. But you've got Jews today on the other end of the spectrum that are saying, which is strange to me. I'm, I'm a Jew, but I don't believe in God. Say, I don't understand that. You're a Jew and you don't believe in God. No, listen, I don't believe in God. I'm Jew, but I can prove it, that God doesn't exist. So how can you prove it? And they'll say, where was he in the Holocaust? He didn't rescue us. So my argument to them is, oh, so it's not that you don't believe in God. You don't like the way he's doing things. Exactly. Right? <laughs> but... The Jewish community is an interesting thing to look at because we have to remember, the, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe, Satan, the little g, God of this world. Right. Let's remember the Bible tells us that it's the Lord who has put the veil over the eyes of the Jew today. Big difference. Big difference. So we need to reach out to the Jew, evangelize the Jew, asking the Lord, Lord, lift that veil. They are still his chosen people. God chooses and he sticks with them. And the days ahead are going to be difficult, of course, for the Jew, all with the effect of opening their eyes for the last day's salvation of the true Messiah, Jesus. And I'm glad you brought that up because so many people today, even Christians, they look at the Jewish nation, they look at Israel, and they aren't convinced that Christians should be supportive of Israel. They aren't convinced that we should still have some kind of relationship where we care about the Jewish people. And to me, that is so anti-biblical. Speak a little bit to that. Listen, Paul the Apostle took the approach that you're taking, that I'm taking, that we're taking, is that he looked out for his brothers. He reached out to them. His heart, Romans 9, 10, and 11, broke over the fact that his brothers were blinded to the gospel. And he even said, if I could give up my own salvation for them, I would if I could. No other person has said that but Moses. Moses said it. Paul said it. And the Christian church needs to have that same heart. I personally believe this is going to sound hardcore right here, okay? I personally that. believe that if the Holy Spirit is fully active in my life, if I'm yielded, the Holy Spirit will work that love out of my heart to the Jewish lost community because God wants them saved. God loves them. He has commanded me, the Gentile, to live such a way, reaching out to them to provoke them to jealousy. Yes. 
This it, is essential. And isn't that so much what you see in Romans 1.16? Paul's called to take the gospel first to the Jew and to the Gentile. Absolutely. Yes. Well, this is fascinating. <laughs> uh, Joe, speak a little bit about this idea that we are called not just to minister to other Gentiles, but also to the Jewish people, our responsibility as Christians. It's a different message. When we see Jesus, the way he ministered and answered questions, he answered questions with questions. That's right. And on that's, a, as I've been told, a great approach with Jewish people it's to, how, it's to provoke the way they do a it. question, yeah. not to just bombard them with, here's my list of all of the apologetic things that I know, and here are 1,400 scriptures that I can quote, but provoke the questions. And if you can get them to ask the questions, then you can start the process. And then you just set the Holy Spirit free. You planted a seed. Is that the right way to go? You know what? That is so great. So great. Literally last weekend, I I, I went to a, a home. I didn't mean to. I made the wrong turn. I went to a home. Turned out to be a, a family of Jews in Huntington Beach, California here. And somehow they made mention that they were from Israel. And we started talking about the Old Testament prophets. They said, well, we're not religious people, but we believe in God. Okay. Well, as we began to discuss, because I, a Gentile, have read the Hebrew Scriptures, exactly what you said is that I was able to say to them, so your prophets spoke about the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. What do you think about that? What, what, do, you, what do you say to that? See, it wasn't a Jew-Gentile debate. I happen to be nobody reintroducing to a Jew their own scriptures. This is the beautiful thing about witnessing to Jewish people. We can come humbly before them and say, I love your God. I don't care if you believe him or not. I love your God and your scriptures. And oh, by the way, did you know that you're the chosen people? Do you know why you're chosen? Ask a Jew that. Do you know why you're chosen? They might think, well, because we are the greatest Nobel Prize winners of, uh, of, of history. Nope. Because we have great technology. Nope. Because we're great musicians. Nope. It's because Deuteronomy, God tells us that he put his affection upon you because you are the most stubborn. You are the most self-willed. And you know what? You would think, oh, that would be offensive. Don't be surprised if they pat you on the back and they say, so you must know some Jews. <laughs> You begin there with them. That's great. And I love that wisdom and that advice to reaching out to our Jewish friends and Jewish community. We'll be right back with more on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall comes from I Am a Watchman Ministries, established to help individuals know the love of Jesus, enter into a relationship with Jesus, live for Jesus, tell others about Jesus, and prepare for the imminent return of Jesus. We want to inspire the body to live a life of meaning and purpose, and at the coming judgment, hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. The wise will strive to live well, so that they can finish well. The prudent will work to be aware of what God has done and what prophecy notes he will do in the days to come. In support of these goals, the I Am A Watchman ministry is happy to make available at no cost a wealth of discipleship, prophecy, and spiritual growth resources for those who desire to learn and those who are called to lead. Find out more by visiting our website, IamAWatchman.com. That's IamAWatchman.com.
Welcome back to View from the Wall. This is Dylan and Joe. We've been talking with Jack Hibbs. And as we conclude in this final segment, we want to talk a little bit about the application that we see from our study of the rapture in the Bible. So let's talk a little bit about that. First, if I'm convinced by these passages we've talked about that Jesus is coming back any moment, the rapture is true, what should that mean for my life today? Yeah, it means this. Hurry up. Hurry up. Honestly, it's, it means to me, stop goofing off. We're running out of time. we got to get going. The master's coming back. He gave us a job to do. We need to finish it. I like to put it to you guys this way. We need to get caught doing his will when he comes back. So Jesus said it this way. Do the works of God now while you can, because night is soon coming when no man can work. That's a motivational exhortation. The scripture tells us Jesus tells us the harvest is ripe unto the harvesting. The fields are white. Let's go get them. So if I believe Jesus is coming soon, and if I believe those scriptures, then I will have no time to sit around and play Xbox all day. I cannot sit around and watch PBS all day. I cannot, you know what I'm saying? I, but you say, yeah, but we have to work and pay the bills. Of course you do. You go to work and you pay the bills all the while asking the Lord, Lord, open up the door of opportunity for me to serve you at lunch, at break, whatever, because you could come back. I want to be ready and busy about my father's business when he returns. Your church is an outreach church. Not all churches are. A lot, of, a lot of churches expect everybody to come to them, but Calvary Chapel is known for being an outreach church. Watchmen around the world that listen to this program and that go to our website and that follow us are looking for ways to share the gospel with everybody. They watch, they warn, they witness, they want to finish well. How do they do that? It changes every day because the culture changes every day. My time we played a different video game, not the kind like now. Yeah. So as the culture changes, as times change, how does the church keep current with sharing the gospel? What are you doing that's working? I tell you, this is what's working, and it's so simple, is we are staying very current with technologies. We're staying very, very current with trends, not to conform to them, not to have them make us. I believe that our fellowship and its leadership has been very careful to look and to ask this question. How do we use a local magazine, for example, to get Christ out? How do we use an app to get Christ out? If you were a non-believer, what would you go to if you were searching? If suicide, finances, if marriage, what would you do? So for us, that's why for us we have seriously, uh, last I was told, we have over 700 stations that were on regarding radio, which is amazing. However... The greatest viewership is global on YouTube channels, for example. Facebook. Don Stewart and I just did a, a message a couple days ago, less than 48 hours ago, and we've got, we're approaching 200,000 viewers. That's what we need to do. There are people around the world who either don't have the access or the freedom or the ability to go to a Bible teaching church. And so now more than ever, harness the power of technology for the glory of God right now and I don't think you have to worry about making it cool and fancy for the young generation because they like, believe it or not, simple, and they want to be told the truth. And I appreciate that about the young generation. No more baloney, they're saying. No more hype. We don't even care about nice photography. Tell us the truth. And we believe that. And so we've got the truth. So let's run with it. 
one of the things for me, when you look at the application of the rapture to our lives, uh, one, we want to be sharing the gospel, but two, we want to be living a life that matters. And like you've alluded to, we don't want to be sitting around wasting our time with video games or doing things that when Jesus comes back, we would regret we were doing. Let's put it that way. So when it comes to the end, uh, all that really matters is what we were doing for Christ. So as we finish up, let's speak just a little bit to those who are listening today. Uh, Give us an encouraging word in our final couple of minutes as we wrap up. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. It comes down to this, as simple as this, and yet as, as profound. Jesus said, that don't think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill, which means today there's a whole culture out there that says, oh, I get to do whatever I want to do because Jesus didn't talk about it. He didn't mention these issues or these social uh, abnormalities or this, these things about gender or these things about homosexuality or about drunkenness or about this or that. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That's all of the scripture. He said then, go out and let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works, they'll glorify your Father which is in heaven. Meaning, we are to live righteousness. Righteousness is attractive to those who are searching. I look, I love Christian bands and I love, I love a beautiful sanctuary. That's not going to do it. Righteousness is attractive to a searching soul. And so we need to let that light out. We need to let that salt be tasted so that the world will come. We don't have to go to them. They're coming to us looking for truth. Yes, well, we hope you've been enjoying our conversation with Jack Hibbs. His website, reallifewithjackhibbs.org. Again, that's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. My honor. Thanks. Yes, looking forward to hearing you more. Again, thanks for joining us here on A View from the Wall. We look forward to connecting with you more. Please go to iamawatchman.com. Check out all of our latest resources. And we look forward to joining you next time here on A View from the Wall. A View from the Wall, in association with I Am A Watchman Ministries, exists to equip a worldwide audience with biblical truth, sharing it with others, and being prepared for Christ's imminent return. The team seeks to encourage, inspire, and equip watchmen for such a time as this. For information about the ministry and upcoming events, visit IamAWatchman.com. A View from the Wall is made possible by the team of dedicated pastors, editors, and the many contributors of I Am A Watchman Ministries. To support our efforts, give online at IamAWatchman.com and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time on A View from the Wall.